Great message, isn't it? Amen. Good to be with you tonight. Talking to a couple the other day, and they, they called and made an appointment, and they said, uh, there's nothing wrong with our marriage. We're okay, but our kids are brats. <laughs> That's exactly what he told me, and I think he's probably right. <laughs> Another story I heard recently was a teenage boy who didn't get to do what he wanted to do, and so he called CPS and turned his parents in for child abuse. And uh, the parents welcomed the CPS officer into the, into the house, and once they figured out what was going on, they had rather scathing remarks to make to the young teenage boy. I read a study not too long ago, probably about a year ago, that came out that indicated that our young people are maturing slower. They're leaving the house at an older age than they used to. It takes them longer to get their uh, wind under your wings or your feet grounded and get themselves into full maturity, able to care for themselves. I don't know what that's a result of, but that's kind of the trend in our society right now. About a week and a half ago, I got to hold a newborn baby, our granddaughter, Alexis. I said that right, didn't I? Okay. I said her name wrong a while ago. But, uh, and it just brings back a lot of memories, raising three kids. Uh, but you're reminded how vulnerable this little child is and how much they need complete care. And they can't do anything on their own whatsoever, they really need help. Well, if you haven't figured it out yet, I want to talk to you about a subject that may be a little delicate for some of you, but Christian immaturity, we're going to get to Christian maturity in a moment, but I've taken the text out of Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11, and through 612, through most of the chapter 6. Um, and the writer has some rather scathing remarks he makes to uh, these Hebrew people he's writing to. And when I read it, I, I'm just kind of drawn back at these first words in Hebrews 5.11. Uh, one person said, I don't know who quoted this, but they said, Spoiled children soon become little stinkers. And uh, if you've ever pastored in church or worked in a church office very long, you know, sometimes you have stinkers in the church. And uh, sometimes we act like spoiled kids when it comes to things in the church. So I think this text speaks to us. Uh, chapter 5, verse 11. Uh, Paul, uh, the, I, Paul, we don't know who wrote Hebrews. I keep wanting to say Paul did. Some people think he did. But in verse 11, he makes this comment. We have much to say about this. And that goes back to the earlier part of the chapter, which is one of the central themes of the book of Hebrews, that the writer is trying to introduce the idea or help us understand that Jesus Christ was a great high priest in the order of Melchizedek, who was a king and a priest. Uh, and he also is challenging the readers uh, to move on to Christian perfection, as John Wesley called it, but a deeper experience with God to Christian maturity, if you will. Uh, but he says, we have much to say about this, but it is hard to explain this 
Because you are what? Slow to learn. Uh, and some of us just have a, we learn by the school of hard knocks. It takes a while to get the message, don't we? But apparently, uh, they have been rather slow in their maturity as a Christian, because he goes on to say in verse 12, in fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. Wow. Uh, so he's saying to them, you've been around for a while. You should be growing in your faith. It should be farther along than you are, but you're not. In fact, you've been around long enough, some of you, that you should be teachers. You should be able to teach others in the faith and help them to grow and mature. But you're not there. Uh, so uh, he, he says that the, they're, you need milk, not solid food. So I, I played with the idea on... And, uh, Instead of calling it Christian immaturity, but I was thinking about using this title. We can have the next slide. <laughs> Fussing babies. But I thought maybe that'd be a little too defend, uh, put you on the defensive. You may not want to listen to what I have to say. But uh, apparently these people were having some problems uh, staying in the faith and staying grounded. Uh, so they are now still on the milk. They're not on solid food. Uh, and anyone who lives on the milk, verse 13, being still an, an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature who, by constant use, have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. So he's talking about baby food here in chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. And I want to just for a moment take a look at this baby food uh, that... Is, uh, he's talking about, and it's interesting. The first one is the foundation of repentance. Uh, what it means to repent, to become a Christian, and give our heart to God, and be saved, to be redeemed. Basic theological, theological concepts and basic experience with Christ, and that's where we all start in our walk with Jesus, that we have repented from our sins. Uh, so that, that's baby food. He's talking about another one is faith in God, what it means to have faith and to believe and to trust God and to walk in his ways. Another baby food is baptism, the understanding of the importance of baptism, what we do with baptism, what it means and why we do it. Uh, another is the, the experience of laying on of hands when people are sick, when they need to be prayed for, when we want to encourage a brother or sister in Christ, we lay our hands on them and pray for them. Uh, that's baby food. Uh, uh, the, the next one is resurrection of the dead, understanding that concept, what it means that someday we're, we're not going to be like we are. We're going to rise. We're going to be with the Lord forever. Uh, that's baby food. And the next and the last one on this list is eternal judgment. Boy, it's been a while since we've heard that strong preaching we used here when we were kids about uh, the Lord's coming back and we better be ready. I've heard some echoes of that in these recent days, but that's internal judgments coming. We must face it. Well, in uh, chapter 6, he said, these are the elementary teachings about Christ. This is baby food that we should have. I was reading one commentary, and they said that some churches never go beyond this list. That's as far as they get in their teaching and their uh, helping to, to raise people in, in their walk with God. Uh, that they get stuck there and they, they never move on to the deeper things of God. 
Uh, I hope that your experience isn't that way as a Christian, that you're growing. You're experiencing Christ in new and, and important ways that you're going deeper with him and understanding not only these basic concepts, but you're going further than that. And uh, the writer of the Hebrews is saying, you know, you folks need to move on a little further than that. You need to get past these. You need to get grounded in these and understand what they are. But this isn't the end of all in what we believe and what we should teach. That's just the beginning. We should be growing deeper in our walk with the Lord. So if that's baby food, what is solid food? What would solid food look like and taste like? And I go back to the previous chapter in chapter 4, and um, the writer of the Hebrews is talking about this Sabbath rest for the people, which we understand it to be a place of full commitment, of infilling with the Holy Spirit, of cleansing through and through uh, by the very power and presence of God and the Spirit of God in our life, and that we move on to this concept of Christian perfection, this Sabbath rest for people, that we get to a place where we are rested in God and we know that we have reached the, the point where we are his children without any question and we're moving forward in the work of the Lord. Um, and he, he says, let's make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following the example of disobedience. And verse 12 says, for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. That's solid food, my friend. God's word. Uh, If you're not in this word, if you're not studying it, spending time in your life with it, letting it be absorbed into your everyday walk and the situations you're facing in your life, you're not on solid food. You're still back there in that baby food stuff. You need to be in the Word of God. I know I'm probably preaching to the choir here tonight, but it is important that we hear these words. Because this is solid food. And, and I refer back to verse 14 of chapter 5. And uh, the writer says, But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. The Word of God will train us, will help us to grow, will strengthen us, We'll, we'll gain that uh, strength of an athlete who is able to do a great feats. But it's only done by what kind of training? Daily, constant use and building those muscles and building that routine and being able to do whatever that athletic event is and do it with perfection and do it with strength and ability. Uh, you can apply that concept to the Christian walk and the Word of God does that for us in our spiritual walk with Him. It grounds us. It helps us to see how we should be living our lives. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 15, Paul is talking about pressing on to the goal. He said, not that I've already attained all this but or have already made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that which for Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself as yet taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straightening toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which Christ has called me uh, heavenward in Christ Jesus. He's talking about growing. He said, I haven't attained this yet. I haven't attained this 
complete perfection we're going to have in heaven. He said, I need to grow some more. And he's, he, in the previous words he, in Philippians 3, he's talking about, I want to know Christ. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. And that's all I want to know. I want to know Jesus. Above all things else in my life, I want his word to permeate everything I do so that I can grow, that I can be a stronger Christian. I can live the life that God wants me to live and be pleasing to him. So that's solid food. We've seen the baby food. We've seen the solid food. Um, there's a ne- the next set of verses here are problematic. People really struggle with this one uh, because it has to do with this problem that the Hebrews apparently were facing. Um, and I've read several commentaries, and they're all over the place on this, saying different things and how to interpret it. But in verse 4 of chapter 6, the writer says, It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the coming age, if they fall away to be brought back to repentance, that baby food, because to their loss they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. Wow, those are... Tough words to look at. Uh, Some commentators say that it's like this. You get a train moving down track. It's hard to stop the train. He puts the brakes on, but it's going to go a little ways further. It's going to take a while to get that thing stopped and going the other direction. And... In that concept, if I quit moving toward Christ, if this is the direction to Christ, and I quit moving that way, and I turn around and I start my momentum in my life going this way, uh, spiritually, it's pretty hard to turn around. In fact, the further I get, the harder it is for me to see who Christ is in my life and to experience the power of his salvation and the influence of the Holy Spirit to guide and direct me in how I should be living and what I should be doing in my life. Um, once the momentum starts in our life in a certain direction, it's very difficult to change it. My friend, I have people come into my office almost every day who have done this in their life. They have started down a path, made some decisions in their life that are destructive, that are hurtful to themselves, sometimes to other people. And the momentum gets started, and they start putting on the brakes, but they can't get it stopped until they have slid a ways down that track. And then it's real hard to turn around, and sometimes you can't get back to where you were. Well, we know that God is a God of grace, and he just doesn't cast us aside just because uh, we've had a problem. And I liked what one commentator talked about this idea. He's not really talking here about people who stumble, who sin, but they realize the Holy Spirit prompts them and they realize, oh, I I need to change my life. I need to get this straightened out. had a situation like that in my office this week. and Somebody confessed to doing something I didn't think that person would ever do. They really stumbled. But they're already turning back. They're already recognizing their sin. And they're already moving back toward God. Uh, 
That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about people who have gone so far that they have made a complete departure from the Word of God. You ever met somebody like that? I have. I've had it set in my office. They hate God. Well, they don't believe in God. They don't think there is such a thing as God in their life. They have moved completely away from the concept that there's a God who loves them. They always quote me these things. If God really loved me, he wouldn't let And then there's always something he didn't, they don't think God should let them do or should cause them to go through some problem or what some other person has said or done. But listen, when I look at the context where this text was placed, the writer of the Hebrew is saying to these people, folks, you need to grow up and become stronger Christians. You need to mature in the word of God. And if you don't, this is the way things are going to go in your life. Um, I think the next set of verses talks about this rain that falls on the earth. And the outcome is that it produces a crop useful for those for whom the farmer receives the blessing of God. Uh, that's a land that drinks the rain and takes it in and produces a crop. But there's also land that has the same rain, but it produces thorns and thistles. Worthless and is in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will even be burned. Boy, those are scathing remarks again. Challenging remarks. Telling the church, you need to change. You need to keep growing and maturing. If you aren't working in the Word of God and letting it grow in your life, when God rains His blessing down on your life, you're, you're, you're not going to produce fruit for the Lord. You're going to produce thistles that are going to be burned. Uh, I know this is hard to hear. But listen, we need to stand before God in our lives. And be sure that we are saying and doing things that are pleasing to him. We need to be sure we're growing and moving closer to the Lord. And we're not creating an offense to God, but we're actually redemptive folks. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, I'm going to meddle a little bit, if I haven't already. (laughs) I'm going to talk about two areas uh, in our lives that are challenges to Christian maturity. Uh, these the two areas are, the first is change, when change happens. And the second is when we're disappointed in a fellow Christian. Change is tough. One uh, quote I found said, Most people are willing to change, not because they see the light, but because they feel the heat. And sometimes we're that way. It's kind of hard to go through change. Uh, and another quote, everybody is in favor of progress. It's the change they don't like. Well, we've sure had our changes, haven't we, as a church, as a body of Christ. Uh, we can go back, talk about a number of things that have happened to us. But it, just in this past year, I've thought about the people that have gone on to be with the Lord Things that have occurred here in our church that brought change, loss of jobs, illness, struggle with lives, pastor leaves, and we have to find a new senior pastor. Uh, That's change. 
And sometimes that change is difficult to deal with. And I know sometimes there's hurt that goes along with those things that occur in our lives. And I've heard and felt that pathos more than once in my office during this past year. And so I know that it touches people deep in their life. Uh, Isaiah, you know Isaiah, great prophet. Uh, Our district superintendent preached on Isaiah 6, a great message uh, about this vision that Isaiah received. In chapter 45 of Isaiah um, is a remark to the people of Israel and their struggle with God. Israel believed at this time it was turning, the, the northern kingdom was falling. The southern kingdom still had that pride. They really believed they were going to pull it through, that God was going to bless them and see them through. And indeed, there were moments that it did. But in Isaiah 45, verse 9, Woe to him who quarrels with his maker, to him who is but a potsherd among the potsherds of the ground, Does the clay say to the potter, what are you making? Does your work say he has no hands? Woe to him who says to his father, what have you begotten or to his mother? What have you been, what have you brought to birth? No, we don't say to God, what are you doing? We do, but we shouldn't. We shouldn't. Uh, some of our instant responses are, and I've done this more than once in my life, Lord, what are you doing? I, I've said this to a number of people, but it goes back to my teenage years. I grew up in uh, Southside Church of the Nazarene, Danville, Illinois. And we had a revival speaker. His name was T.W. Willingham. Anybody remember who T.W. Willingham is? A few people have heard him preach. Uh, how many have actually heard him preach? Okay, yeah, all right. Uh, he liked to be different in his, his preaching, and, and uh, he gave a message. He wrote a little booklet with that title on it. If I were God, I would do things different. And uh, that stuck with me. It helped me to understand that as Christians, sometimes we really struggle with God's doing. And Israel was struggling with what God was doing. They, they, they didn't get the point. They missed it. And so that tells me sometimes we do too. And we struggle with what God is doing in our lives. But he is doing something. He is the potter shaping the clay of your life. He's shaping the clay of the life of this church. And I want to be molded. I want to be shaped. I want to be a person that makes a difference in the kingdom of God. We get angry. We get defensive. We blame others. Those are immature reactions. And believe me, we all do it at times in our lives. In Philippians chapter 4, Paul talks about some Christian maturity in his life. 
Uh, he says, I've learned in whatever state I'm in to be content. The, to be beaten down or taken advantage of or to bound and have much in my life. He said, I have learned in all of these circumstances to be content. That is a powerful statement because it's hard for us Christians sometimes to be content with what God's doing. When I look at Paul's life, it wasn't that pleasant many times. But God blessed him. That's a mature reaction. Lord, mold me and shape me. Make me what you want me to be. Change is difficult. But the mature Christian reaction is, Lord, I give it back to you. And whatever you're doing in my life, I'm going to sit back and wonder watching what you do, even though it doesn't make sense to me. And believe me, God will do something if you let him. You give room and place for him in your life, it will happen. Yeah. Well, the second one is disappointment in a fellow Christian. I don't need to say a lot about that, but it is one of the greatest struggles in the church. And anybody that's been a church leader, been in the pastorate, you experience this from time to time because it comes into your office. And sometimes people get their feelings hurt. You could probably share a story or two. It wouldn't take long. We could be here all night talking about what people have said or done that may have hurt you or hurt somebody else. And if it hasn't happened yet, it likely will happen to you. Somebody's going to say or do something, and it might be me. That upsets you or hurts your feelings, uh, that makes you feel neglected or mistreated. I read somewhere where the person said, have you noticed that some church members are like balloons, full of hot air and ready to blow up at any time? (laughs) And if there's anything to blow us up, it's when somebody messes with us. Uh... When life isn't fair, the self rears its ugly head. If you want to grow as a Christian, if you want to mature in your walk with the Lord, you've got to work with the self. You've got to deal with the I. It's not about me. It's about him. If I can do that, the Lord will bless me. But to do that, it takes a lot of courage and strength within you as an individual because your first reaction is to strike back. But when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, my friend, you do something different. You don't strike back. You respond in love. You are able to live out Matthew chapter 5, the wonderful Beatitudes. Your life will reflect that kind of living when the Holy Spirit is there. Is it possible that the more mature your reaction is to change and disappointment, the more you are struggling with the surrender to God problem? The more immature your reaction is, the more you're struggling with surrender? Think about that. I think there's some lessons there for us to learn. I trust that God will challenge us. Uh, We need to discipline ourselves so others don't have to discipline us when we have been wrong and when we have hurt others. 
God can bless us. Well, the great thing about this whole text here in Hebrews is that Paul doesn't leave them empty. And it sounds almost like he's beating them, or writer of the Hebrews. Sorry about that, whoever wrote wrote this. Uh, He doesn't leave them standing. In verse 9, he said, even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are confident of better things in your case. So he goes on to say, things are going to be better. I have confidence in you that you will continue to grow and you can overcome this immaturity that you have and your lives can change. So what can we do? How can we become more mature as a Christian? Well, you know the answers already, but we'll talk about it just for a moment. First of all, spend time in the Word. Let's take time to study the Word, to keep in it, make it living, active, vibrant, working in our lives, changing us, shaping us from day to day. Listen to the sermons uh, that are preached from the pulpit. Uh, read your Sunday school lessons. Take time to read the Word of God. Let it be absorbed in our life and be a, a, an active, vibrant thing. Uh, the, the second is it's that we need community. Let's spend time together as a community of believers. That's what we're doing here tonight. In many different ways, this church offers wonderful opportunities for us to connect with other believers and to grow up together, help each other mature, help each other with our responses in the community of faith. And the last is what I wanted to say the most. Let's be redemptive. When somebody has hurt you, when something is not going right in your life, when change is not going the way you want it to be, make your response a redemptive one. How can I be a redemptive agent in this situation? Rather than striking someone down, beating them up because how wrong they are. But let's take time and say, how can I move that person closer to Christ? How can I honor God in this situation and that he be blessed in in my response to the things that are around us that is going on. Choose redemptive responses. Be forgiving in love. Oh, my. One of the greatest struggles in our lives as Christians, as human beings, is to forgive someone who has wronged us. But that's exactly what Christ wants us to do. Forgive those who transgress against us. And we want God to forgive us so we must forgive others as well. Praise his name. Are you maturing? Are you growing? I think you are. This is the challenge tonight. That'll listen to the writer of the Hebrews and what he has to say to the church. We're going to sing a song here in a moment. Draw me nearer and nearer. I can't think of a better song. I was trying to think of one to end this with. So I think that's a good way for us uh, to end this as our prayer. Lord, draw me nearer to you. Help me be more like you. Help me to hear what you have to say. Let's sing it together.